All right, you guys can grab a seat. Good morning, good morning. How we doing? Are we awake? Now listen, it is the Sunday after our men's retreat, which I got to tell you, I have, I, I did not know what to expect. I did not. So if you're a guy who uh, wasn't at the retreat and you feel guilty for not being there, that's, uh, you know, the conviction of the Lord is on him. I don't know. Um, But I will tell you, uh, if you have a spouse who you allowed your husband to go, I will tell you, I am am jacked out of my mind from this past weekend. And I think a bunch of our guys are. And here's what I'm jacked about. Yeah, we're going to clap it aside. Here's what I'm jacked about is I, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, if I'm honest, our, our men and, and the ministry we have towards men and the space that we create for men to be men, godly men, is, is not the greatest. And so when I, we started session one, there was this sense of expectation. There was this sense of, I'm here for something. And, and I, I kid you not, when worship started, uh, we, we have like volume issues. I know a lot of people think it's like too loud in here. We couldn't get it loud enough in the chapel at this retreat. These men were just proclaiming the name of God. It was unreal. And it was the most off-key choir you have ever heard. But it was a bunch of men worshiping. And then when we read the word, right, when, when the preacher and the communicator started, there was a hunger for life change. And I just want you to know, like, I have never been more proud of the men of this house than I am at this weekend. I'm excited to see what fruit we will bear in the future because of the investment that you took time to make this weekend. So ladies, families, thank you for allowing your weekend to get away. Guys who missed it, please don't miss the next one. It was truly incredible. So can we just give a round of applause to the guys in the house for doing that, and it's awesome. And I love that they're here with us today. Most of the guys came back to be with us in service today, which I think is incredible. So they're tired. So let them have a nap this, this afternoon. Now, I do have to share one funny thing, but I had to get the, the serious thing out of it. I've never been more proud as a friend's Quaker pastor than I was when I showed up to the gun range. And we had this, this, we rented this like 80-yard gun range, and it was in the back, and it was real muddy. And so all these guys were loading into the truck, and I'm like, this is a Quaker militia right here. Everyone is strapped to the nine. I'm like, what is going on? And, and it was just, I thought we were taking Madison. I, I, I thought there was a revolt going. It was, but we had fun and, and everyone's alive. Praise Jesus. So I was concerned about that. Uh, so thank you. And ladies, if you notice in the, uh, in the um, lobby today as you walked in, and, and if you didn't notice, make sure you notice on your way out, we have a ladies night coming up for you. I'm really excited about that because, you know, we, we care about the family. So we try to minister to every part of the, the body at different times of the year. And so right now it's kind of our men and women. We just finished the guys. Ladies, you're coming up. We have a ladies night. I invited Pastor Trish Davis. She just spoke with Justin a couple weeks ago. She's coming back and she's going to be speaking at the ladies night. We have worship. They got a great craft. I always, something with succulents. I don't know what it is. You would know that. Okay. And there's Mitchell's ice cream in the house. And then we have a retreat for you coming up at the end of April. So you can talk to the ladies in that booth today and love to connect you. It's going to be an awesome time. All right? All right. So we're ready to get into the word? 
We're in this series called All In, and we're talking about this blueprint for the early church revival and, and how what they did, they were together, and then the Holy Spirit showed up, and he shook things out, and it says that tongues of fire rested on each one of them, and they started prophesying and praising, and, and people thought they were wild and crazy, and yet they were healing people, and, and there was this whole revival spreading all throughout Jerusalem. And then it says this, that they did three things, and we're going to read about those, but these three things that they did, because of that, the Lord added to their number daily, which is cool, and, and sometimes people are like, I don't want more. I'm okay with that. But what I want you to hear is that the world changes when we do these three things. Not when we have a great worship or a great speaker or a great event or great donuts or great inflatables. The world changes when people outside of the four walls live what they say and what we declare inside the walls. And so here's the, the verse that we're in. It's in Acts 2.42 through 2.47. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to read it and then we're going to unpack what the Lord has for us today. It says this, verse 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of breaking bread and to prayer. And awe came over every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, not just some, all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, pro the proceeds to all those that had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and sincere hearts and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And then the key verse, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved, saved, those who eternal trajectory shifted from going to hell to experiencing life eternal with God. That's amazing to me. So that's just incredible. And here's what I will tell you, right? We talked about this last week. Uh, some people just don't like big churches. And that's all right. You're entitled to your opinion. But I want you to understand that, that the, the early church was the first mega church. Over 30 years, it went from 120 people in an upper room to roughly 170,000 in one area. And why? Because it was the first, I put this on the screen, the first two centuries of the church, it was not the Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was the Christians themselves who attracted them, the outsiders. It, they were attractive because of their habits. The best witness we have as the church is not our programs, but our transformed lives. Now, uh, one of the speakers this weekend, his name was Adam, and he said something that was profound. And I, I want to give credit to him, but I, I really I was moved by it, and I want to share it with you. And I, I want to do something really quick. This is what he said. He said, the difference between Sunday mornings being a really good TED talk and an opportunity for the potential of the Holy Spirit to change everything are whether or not we invite the Holy Spirit into it. And I really, am, I was moved by that because I, I, I think, this is what, kind of what we're talking about today. I, I think we are really good at informing each other of great information of how to live better lives. But this isn't a TED Talk. We're not here to just have our ears tickled by good news. We're here to actually be different, look different, act different, and live in that transformed life so that other people notice it. And the way we get from A to B is simply inviting the Holy Spirit 
to start to move as the Lord's word is declared. So I'm just going to do that right now. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit into this so that this isn't just a transference of information, but this is a transference of a changed life. So Father, please uh, send your Holy Spirit. God, we know he's here, but we awaken him. We pray that he comes alive, that it moves us. Holy Spirit, we pray that it's not just feeling, but you stir up in us your gifts to be your church. And may it be an out-of-control, chaotic experience in which we don't know what to do but to surrender unto you what your will is. And may the world think we're crazy for it because of how on fire we are for you. So we invite you now, as we hear this message, to do what only you can do, to change us from the inside out. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so in this series, uh, we kind of unpacking four things. Last week, we talked about they. Everyone needs a they because they devoted themselves. And if you don't have a they, uh, Scripture doesn't say, I devoted myself. It says they. We all have to have an, an intentional group of people around us. And if you need help with us, we'd love to help you. I'm going to tell you how at the end. Uh, but today, uh, in 2, 3, and 4, and next week, we're going to talk about they were devoted to development. That's what we're going to tackle today. Number, next week, we're going to talk about they were committed to breaking bread, which that should be the best one because it's about food. And that so someone today is like, hey, I made you a fresh-baked sourdough uh, loaf of bread. I'm going to be breaking bread with myself all week because my wife is a gluten intolerant person. She's got celiac disease, so it's going to be awesome for Kyle. I'll just, I'll just warm it up and let her smell it. It's beautiful. I didn't mean that to be a jerk. I meant that so she could experience the joy that I... Uh, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. And then week four, we're going to talk about how they were exhibited the symptoms of the saved, which means they had a set of beliefs and practices that every Christian should have. All right, so as we kind of unpack that, we got to understand, what does devoted to development mean? That's a tough one. What does devoted to development? So let's break it down, and we'll go one word at a time. Number one, devoted is to be steadfast and single-minded in your faithfulness. Now, I don't know about you, but I never understood the weight of that word, devoted. I want to be a devoted husband. I want to be a devoted dad. I want to be a devoted friend. I want to be a devoted employee. I want to have a devoted relationship to Jesus. What does that mean? It means that I want to be single-minded and let the hearer and the doer be in unison as to what the goal is and what the holy pursuit is, to be devoted Development is defined as the act or process of growth or formation of something. So when we say we are devoted to development, here's what we are uh, confessing both in what is true and what we're working on. We're confessing that we are going all in, that we are committed to being devoted, meaning that we are single-mindedly, intentionally taking new ground, but we understand that in that pursuit, it is a formation which means we don't have all the information. It's information that we get along the way. It's kind of why we are a holiness church, is we believe that sanctification is a process. It is a journey of you becoming less like you and more like Jesus. Unpacking less of you and more of him. Reflecting him. My wife shared at Embracing Motherhood this week, and she said this, and it was a really profound statement. She shared this little illustration about the refining fire of a person who works with silver. 
And sometimes we feel like we're in the fire and everything around us is hot. Everything around us is burning. Everything else around us is burning down. And we're like, where's God? And yet what he's doing is he's got us in the fire because he's burning out the impurities in us. And what's crazy is a lot of us think that God just puts us in the fire and then walks away. But here's what God really does. He puts us in the fire and he stays there and he's watching and he's turning and he's working out all of those impurities. And how does he know when the, the silver's ready? How does he know when we're ready? Is when he pulls it out, he can see his reflection in the silver or in us. That's powerful, isn't it? And so many of you feel like you're in the fire right now. Can I just encourage you to worship? Because the Lord is working out in you something so he can see more of him and less of you. He's working out those impurities. Hold on. So we are devoted to development. So how do we grow more like Christ? How do we become more devoted? Well, here's number one. You have to know Christ, not just know about him. And this is my, this is my fear. And I, I hate to be so heavy so quick, but I know that there's a lot of people in this house that they think they know God. They think they know Christ. They think they have a relationship with Christ. But if I'm honest, you just know about Christ. You, you know what everyone else knows. You know, oh, why, they, they're, they're passionate, they worship. But, but do you really know Christ? Look, look what Matthew says. This is what Jesus said uh, to his disciples. He said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter on judgment day, many will say, Lord, we prophesied, we worshiped, we did amazing miracles like casting out demons in your name, and we performed lots of things, miracles. But I will reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me. You break God's laws. Now I want you to understand what, what that is saying is it's not just looking like everyone else. It's actually the intimate awareness of who Christ is and being in relationship with him, that you know him and you obey him. And here's what I love. I love Christians who their source of salvation is Sunday mornings. They show up to church. They check their box that they were in church. And then on Monday morning, they wake up and they go back to living how they lived as if nothing was different or new about them. Until Sunday comes again. And then they put on their church outfit and their church face and their church attitude. And then it's really hilarious. Those are the people that get angry at God for not blessing them. For not giving them favor. Yet that's the reality is that you're just playing a game. You don't know him. Number two. You have to study what he did and why. You have to study. I'm going I'm to spend the most time on here. You have to study what he did and why. How do you do that? Well, you got to read his word. What, what's crazy is another thing that I heard this week that was amazing. He's like, you know what faith is? It's believing that God is telling the truth. That's what faith is. And so what do we believe God is telling the truth about? Well, we find that in here, that there's lots of promises in God's word that he has for us. He says crazy things like we are more than conquerors, that we are the head, not the tail. He says that he's coming again. He says that he, it's going to be crazy. And he, there are those that know him and they're going to be honored. They're going to be blessed. He says that there's going to be this judgment and everyone gets afraid because we saw heaven's gates, hell's flames, which is theologically incorrect. 
The judgment that we're going to face is the, the judgment where those who know Jesus, their, their righteousness is going to be counted and they're going to be rewarded for their obedience in heaven. See, when we said yes to Jesus, we actually removed ourselves from any other judgment. Because our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we get to just go to heaven. We don't experience some judgment or court case where we're like, do you know me? No, you, you know Jesus. So you get the judgment of blessing. That's the beautiful part. And in that, you have to know what he wants, what he was after. You have to know his agenda. And you find all of that in Scripture. So here's my question. The validity, the validity, the importance, and the power Scripture has in your life. Do you know what that is? Do you know why Scripture is valid, powerful, and, and has importance in your life? Look what 2 Timothy says. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Church, you cannot understand your Bible by always allowing someone else to tell you what's in it. You must study it for yourself. Here's what I will also remind you. This is my one asterisk to that statement, and it is a warning to you. Scripture without the Holy Spirit is a weapon. If you do not believe me, look at the Pharisees. Scripture without the Holy Spirit is a weapon. Scripture with the Holy Spirit, which Scripture is the apostles' teaching, is revival. It is the source of every act of change in our world. So my question is, is Scripture powerful? I put this on your screen for you. Is Scripture powerful? Well, you tell me. When Jesus was tempted, Scripture flowed from his lips. When Jesus was challenged, Scripture flowed from his lips. When Jesus was crucified, Scripture flowed from his lips. Scripture doesn't flow unless it's first studied and internalized. Now, here's what I, I think is important. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He could have said anything and changed everything. But what did he say? Scripture. 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 Can I tell you, when you don't know what to do, say Scripture. It is the source of our power. Scripture. And you, you can't, and listen, I, I don't, it may work for you, but when life is going rough, it could work for you. I, I, I don't know. But quoting the most memorable verse in the Bible, oh, John 3.16 is probably not going to help you. you. You probably need to know some other scriptures. You, you ne probably need to fill your arsenal with other scriptures. And, and here's the deal. You, you can't fake that. You have to know it. You have to internalize it. So you tell me if scripture's power. Is scripture important? I don't know. According to the study of Bible engagement, those who read scripture and study God's word at least four times a week are 30% less lonely, 32% less angry, 40% less likely to be bitter, 50% less likely to suffer from alcoholism, 59% less likely to engage in pornography, 60% less likely to feel spiritually lost. I don't know. Maybe God's onto something when he says study my word. Is scripture valid? I don't know. Many people say, oh, it's a thousands of years old. What power does it have? It can't be true. It can't be accurate. It can't be divinely inspired. It can't be inerrant. Yet I'm just going to give you a little education right now. 
Because it's fascinating if you look at our education system and the structure that in which all of our education is built on, you tell me if scripture's valid. Uh, here is the historical canon of ancient texts that we have. We have Homer's Iliad written in 900 BC and we have 643 copies in existence. Why is that important? Because we help establish Greek thought, the Greek Renaissance, and all of philosophy is built on this writings. 643 copies in existence. We have the writings of Plato. Uh, he wrote from 437 to 347. We have seven manuscripts of his. And yet we have built our entire philosophy on seven pieces of paper. Uh, we have the writings of Aristotle. We have 40 of his. He helped us with the foundation of logic. All of logic in the Western world is built upon 40 pieces of paper. Then we have Caesar. He wrote the Gaelic Wars. All of our military strategy, most of the United States and how it was conquered was used on these writings. And there's 10 of those. Then Herodotus, he, he was the first historian. He started to record what happened and why. And, and all of our history of our history books that we teach our kids from kindergarten all the way through college is built on what? 75 pieces of paper. Then we have the history of Rome, Rome, which is another reality, which is one of the greatest empires to ever lived. And what we have uh, 27 of those. And then we find ourselves with the New Testament. Yet we have 5,800 Greek manuscripts. We have 10,000 Latin manuscripts. We have 9,800 Syriac copies. And then we have 36,280 patriotic quotations where people quoted identically what everything else was said. But scripture's old and not important. Yet it is the most successful, most historically accurate, and most available, consistent context in all of the known world. Is scripture valid? I would say so. Number three, you have to do what he did. And here's where the rubber meets the road. James 1. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, that is scripture, it sets you free. And if you do what it says, you don't forget what you heard. God is going to bless you for doing it. But here's the problem, church. Most of us are educated far beyond our obedience. And this is the part the rubber meets the road. Knowing is not as important as doing. It's interesting that when Jesus started to build his tribe, when Jesus started his ministry, the first thing he did was find his they. Why is it what fascinating concept did he know? When, did he go and look for the smartest of the smartest? Because in Jewish tradition, here's what happened. It is from zero to five, kids were taught the Torah and they were taught to memorize it. And by age 12, it was an expectation that you had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. And it, by age 12, you couldn't do it. If you weren't considered a master in that text, you were then sent back to your father's business. Because what they were saying is, you're not qualified to be a pastor. Did Jesus, when he started his ministry, did he go to some school with a bunch of guys with degrees who were masters in proficiency? No, he did not. He went and found a 
12 guys who were told they weren't good enough and were sent back to their father's businesses. And he went to them and he said, hey, I want you to come and follow me. And we think that's some profound statement, come and follow me. Yet that is the induction to a new life. What a rabbi would do is he would go to the smartest purpose in the room and he says, I want you to be covered in my dust. What is he saying? I want you to follow me so closely that when I walk in the road, the dust from my sandals kicks up on you. Come follow me. And so when Jesus showed up to Peter, James, and John, and he's looking at them, and they're working on the feeling, and they know he's a rabbi, and he looks at them in their heart, he says, come follow me. They drop everything. Because they understood that the invitation from that rabbi was to a life that they probably dreamed of, but were told they weren't good enough for. But here's the crazy part. God wasn't after their knowledge. He wasn't after what they knew. What was God after? He was after their heart. He was after their reckless, crazy, ruthless obedience. Now, I know this because every time I say the word reckless, people get offended. Pastor, can you use different words? You can't use reckless when it comes to faith. Well, you tell me, how reckless is it to be an employee and to literally throw it all to the side and just walk away from your family business because someone invited you to a new life? I think if I was a parent and my son did that, I'd be pretty upset. Partially because she's 10. <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? It was reckless. They didn't care about the consequences of the obedience. They just said yes and went all in. And here's the problem. Many of us are more educated than we are obedient. We think that a new piece of information is going to motivate us more to do what he says. We think, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know God's word enough. I don't know this. I don't know that. And I'm like, who cares what you know? What will you follow? Will you, will you be crazy enough to just do what he says? Then I want you, you. I want you. I'm not looking for the qualified. Jesus never called the qualified. He called people who were willing to say yes and go all in church. Let's go all in. And here's what I mean. When we do this, how do we practically devote ourselves? And, and this is a profound statement. If you're writing down anything this morning, it would be this. Jesus gets the best of us when we're serving. A couple things. Jesus deserves the best of us. He gets the best of us when we are serving. Many of us think that we, he gets the best of us when we're studying. He gets the best of us when we're praying. Nope. Jesus gets the best of us when we're serving. When we live the life that he called us to, we pick up our cross and follow him. When we serve the least of these, that's what he's after. And here's the problem. Most of our church doesn't serve anywhere. They just consume. Consume, consume, consume. It's, you, don't, you can hear all the statistics. 80% of this church's operation is done by 20% of the people. We, we, uh, we have this problem. It's, it's really a, a fun problem. It's actually the worst problem in the world, but it's fun. We started this fourth and fifth grade ministry last Easter. There's like 12 kids in the room. It was awesome. New fourth and fifth grade room. Yeah, they had 57 kids last week. So, so what does that mean? We, we have to, no, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. That's not good. That's not good because it's a problem. Because now we have to open a nine o'clock service. But there's not enough workers. 
Uh, last year, last year, the first Sunday in March in 2022, there was a total of 89 kids in birth through fifth grade in our ministry. 89 kids, that's awesome. Here's what's crazy. On Easter, we doubled it. We went all the way to 200. Oh man, it was crazy. It was wild. We just gave them candy. That's how we survived. <laughs> We're like, here's an egg. Just eat it. Here's some Mountain Dew. Your parents will thank us. No, no, this is crazy, right? Last Sunday in kids' ministry, between birth to fifth grade, there was 176 kids here. 176. What's crazy is we don't have any more leaders than we did last year. Why? Because people would rather consume than contribute. We'd rather consume. On Easter, last year we, we doubled. Because, you know, you have these people that come to church once a year. And we love them. And we tell them the good news. Because that's our job. Because eternity is at stake. And so last year, we prepared for 200 kids to join us. Well, now we have 200 kids. So now we have to prepare for 400 kids to join us. But we have too many people that consume, not contribute. They consume. Because many of us go to church for what we need. And yet everything in scripture is not about going to church for what you need. It's coming to church for what you can give away because we serve a God who gave it all away. And that's the hard part. It says that the, the people in Acts, the formula that they worked is they were devoted to the apostles teaching scripture. And they had everything in common that they would give it all away for those in need. And that was so attractive to the world that the Lord added to their number daily those who were fun, those who were cool. No, no, he doesn't say that. It says those who were being saved. Those whose eternal trajectory changed. Why does that matter, church? It's because we are often more concerned with our comfort then the people out there going to hell. And last time I checked, this isn't a country club. It's a hospital. So I need you to scrub in. Put the gloves on. Lysol your mouth, because kids' ministry is crazy. <laughs> right? Work in guest services, where we identify new people. We hunt them down. We're like, hi, are you new here? Oh, you've been coming for a while? Well, we're glad you're here. Oh, you are new here? Can, can I just show, can I get you some coffee? In fact, I have, a, I have a gift for you. How about this? How about we just hold doors for people? Do you, do you know what it's like to go uh, to a, a place that doesn't want you? Typically, the door's closed. You know what it's like to go to a place that does want you? They're waiting for you and the door's open and they're saying hi before you even get close. I, I don't know about you, but I want a church that the door is as big as possible. I want a church that we're praying, not just before our service, but man, man, what if we're walking around this building like the walls of Jericho and we don't want to pray that these walls fall. No, that's bad. We want to pray what we just sang. We want the walls of people's heart to fall so that the spirit of God can penetrate them in a way that moves them and marks them forever. What would it look like to pray, not just before service, but during service? What would it look like to intercede on others' behalves for what God is going to do in their life? 
Man, we have all this great technology. We have this online campus. You know, there's like 500 people that watch us every week. That's cool. But I'm be really honest. You know what they get? They get a window. Why a window? Because I don't want them to come through because I can't pastor them. But if I had more people that were willing to contribute than consume, I could make a door and I could follow up with them and I could help them get connected to a local body. Because here's the deal. When you're sitting at home in front of uh, your computer or your TV, you're not connected. You don't have a they. That's just you. And I know there's challenges and I don't mean that to be a convicting thing. But listen, we need to be in the presence of people because that's where everything changes. Now listen, those are all the limitations. And I don't want you to hear what we can't do because here's the deal, we're going to do what God called us to do. And it's okay that we have to say no to things, but I want you to understand that the reason we say no to things is because there's more consumers than there are contributors. Because there's more people who'd rather just take on a Sunday and get more information and then go about their life feeling good about themselves. And I'm happy you feel good about yourself. In Jesus' name. I'm actually needing more people to go all in and die to themselves, die to their preferences, die to their offenses, die to this thing called church. Because guess what? If you know Jesus and you're going to heaven, church is no longer for you. It's not. Church is not for you if you know Jesus. Church is for those who don't know Jesus. It's the hope of the world, the local church. And our job is pastors and leaders that get a paycheck from the church is to equip and train and release the saints to do the work of the ministry, not for us to shoulder the burden. To equip you to do it. So what do you do? You find your they and you get behind a forcefully advancing kingdom of God. Here is what this expression of a forcefully advancing kingdom and Willoughby Hills Friends is. Our expression is that we're here to help the family of God, which is everybody, grow in their faith, find freedom, and build a better future. And how do we do this? We are the they that invest their time. We ask the question, what does love require me to do? And we do it. Because we love those who don't love us. We love those who don't deserve it. We love those that are far from God. That's what we're called to do. What does love require you to do? Number two, they invested their talent. Scripture says that we are the body. The body up is made up of many parts. Every part of the body is needed. Where are you serving this body? If you can't answer, you're the problem. Let me help you get plugged in. Let's link arms. Let's activate the gifts inside of you to help other people find their they. Were you willing to invest your talent? And thirdly, they invested their treasure. The Bible says very clearly that where your treasure is, there your heart is. But we're going to talk about that. It's one of the symptoms of the save. But I have to tell you, I was very fascinating. A lot of people have a lot of thoughts on money. A lot of things. I was at lunch last week and or a couple weeks ago, and there's a guy that I've known for many years. He was a junior higher here when I was a youth pastor, and so we're talking, and his world is just blowing up as he continues to say yes to Jesus. And he's looking at me, he's like, hey, who are all these new guys on the stage? I'm like, oh, they're the new staff we've hired. And he's like, are they bivocational? Like, he didn't even know that word. He's like, what do they do for a living? I'm like, they're work at the church. He's like, how do we afford that? And I then just unpacked with him. I was like, well, you know, the government doesn't give us money. A lot of people think that. We think that we get money from the government. We don't. Everything we do is at the generosity of those who believe 
in what we're doing. They believe in the forcefully advancing kingdom of God and they sow into it. They call that tithing. They give a tenth. And there's a lot of people that tip, which is cool too. Tipping is anything less than 10%, just be honest. And here's the crazy part is, he looked at me, he goes, whoa. He looks at me, he goes, you give 10% of your salary to the church? And I smiled and I said, yeah. He's like, how can you afford that? I say, I don't know. I, I don't do the book, so I really don't know. <laughs> but I said, he, he goes, he goes uh, how do I do it? I said, how do you do what? He goes, I, I don't want to be a consumer. I, I want to be a contributor. And it's the most beautiful breakfast or lunch right there. I just signed him up to start giving. And he just literally signed up right there. And, and the smile on his face, and he's like, I am a contributor. I'm not just a consumer. Just jacked out of his mind. And, and listen, I, I, I know that, that people are like, wait, what did he just say? What? I, what? I, I'm just telling you, man. This is an expensive operation. It takes a lot to do this. And we're a ruthlessly stewarding operation. I'm going to show you. You come out of congregation me. I'm going to pull back the books. You can see our, uh, we're, we have more financial tra transparency than ever before. I can tell you where all the money goes. We're spending less than we have in the last five years. We are more efficient with our money than ever before. I can tell you where it all goes. It's funny. We are, are we haven't met our budget this year, right? We're about like $250,000 behind. But what's funny is we're, we're like, I don't know, 90,000 behind in our spending. So we're still to the good. We're still putting money away for our future, which is amazing in this economy. Especially when we raised our budget a million dollars last year. What? Million dollars we raised our budget. Why am I telling you all this? Is because uh, we are sowing and investing and changing the world. And it costs a lot of money, people. The cross is expensive. But can I ask you a question? Are you going to take your stuff to heaven? Is your coffin going to be filled with all the things you accumulated? No. No. What are you willing to sow into so that other people can experience a hope? It's going to cost you something. Which then goes back to the simple question, am I a consumer or am I a contributor? And only you can answer that. And here's the best part. I wish you could see all of the senior saints. And I don't mean old people. I mean people who have bled for this place for years, nodding and smiling at me right now because they know what they've sowed into. They know what they've invested in. They know what they believe and they know the blessing they're experiencing and they just want you to know it too. That's what's crazy. But the question is, are you willing to sacrifice? Uh, only you can answer that. Your comfort, your convenience, your finances, your time, your talent, your treasure. To build an empire that will withstand all of eternity because it's the empire of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. And it transcends all that is physical because we sow into what's eternal. Only you can answer that. They invested their treasure. That's it. We're out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.
God, I don't know what you're stirring, but I know that your Holy Spirit has come in ahead of us. It's with us and it's coming behind us. And Father, I pray that we would just help us as individuals to respond as we see fit. Father, there's many of us that, that we, we won't give our time, we won't commit to they, we won't find a fellowship. I pray that your conviction and your spirit will help people find the community that advances them and your cause. There are those that they are educated far beyond their obedience. God, I pray that they would use their gifts to serve this house to change the world. God, we need more kids workers. We need more hospitality. We, we need more greeters. We, we need more. This is Easter season, and we're expecting the gates of heaven to be opened and to receive your people so we can tell them about a Savior and a hope that changes everything. Father, will you help connect our hearts? Father, maybe it's our treasure. Maybe we've been holding on to what we've worked hard for because we think it's ours. Would your Holy Spirit just remind us that you are the giver of every good thing? That you control the economy, you control our money, and Father, what you can do with 90% is more than we could ever do with 100%. And so would we today trust you with our stuff that we worked hard for? Would we sow into your economy, your kingdom, your advancing word? Would we go all in with what you have for us? Because your word is a lamp unto our feet. It guides our steps and it takes us to places that we've never seen. So Father, let us say yes and let us say amen, which simply means I agree. So now, Father, as we sing, as we process, as we spend time in prayer and thought, would you convict us? Would you remind us? Would you love us? Would you fill us? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.